My wife and I are antiques dealers and bought our house on Union Street in September of 1967. We're from Connecticut and had opened a small branch of our mainland business on one of the wharves here the previous summer. We fell in love with the island and began looking for a place to live at the end of the season. And once we set foot in the house, we knew immediately that it had to be ours. It all happened very quickly. We moved in and began stripping off all kinds of trim and overlay. The floors were covered with linoleum, the fireplaces were blocked up, the lights or small fire windows over the doors were painted over. We unmasked the house, room by room, doing most of the restoration work ourselves. I looked into the history of the house and found that it had been built by Captain Joseph West in 1802. When his wife, Mary, died in 1816, West sold the house to Captain Obed Cathcart for $1,300. Cathcart lived in the house with his wife, Sally McCleave, until his death in 1861. They had no children, and the house then passed to Cathcart's niece, Nancy M. Coffin, who in turn willed it to her husband, Alfred M. Coffin. Alfred Coffin sold it to the Home for Aged People in Winchester in 1895, and Mary J. Gifford Smith bought it from them in the same year. It was sold in 1917 to Mr. and Mrs. William Hall, who owned the house until 1954, when they sold it to Arthur and Jesse Stetson. We bought it from the Stetsons, making a total of only seven families in the house over the past 181 years. One January day in 1968, we were working on the large fireplace in the keeping room. There was a loose board bulging out above the fireplace, and I couldn't make it lay flat. This section had been plastered over and wallpapered. I tapped it, and it sounded hollow. We scraped and peeled and eventually pried up the board. Inside was a small cupboard with shallow shelves, the type of storage area known as a Parsons cupboard. It had been sealed, from the looks of the wall, for at least a century. A small section of the shelving had dried out and disintegrated, and as we dug deeper, we found several small utilitarian objects that had fallen down between the shelving and the wall. An ivory comb, a bottle, a pincushion, and a flint, all dating back to the first half of the 19th century. They were personal, everyday things that had probably gotten pushed into the corner of the cupboard, then fallen through the rotted area in the shelving. We put all of these little objects on the top of a sea chest sitting in the room and left them out that night when we went to bed. It was a clear, moonlit winter night. My wife Kay and I were sleeping on a mattress in the bedroom on one side of the keeping room, and our one-year-old son was sleeping in the room on the other side. My wife woke me up at about one o'clock and asked if I would go check on our son, who was fussing a bit. I got up and started through the door of the keeping room. We had no curtains, and the room was bright in the moonlight, filled with that lovely gray-blue tone that comes from a full moon and a clear sky. Suddenly, I froze. A little shaker rocking chair, sitting a few feet from the fireplace, was moving, as if someone had just been rocking and then had stood up. You know each rock smaller than the last one. As I peered into the room trying to see if anyone was there, I had the definite feeling 
that I had startled someone rocking in the chair and that the person had jumped up and hurried to the far corner of the room where a closet door stood open in the shadows. I stood still for, I guess, a couple of minutes, looking into the corner to see if I could make out anything resembling a figure. And I couldn't. But I just knew that there was a person, or perhaps I should say a presence, hiding from me in the dark. I was shaken. And since our son had quieted down, I went back to bed and I told Kate what had happened. She got up and went to the doorway. The chair had stopped moving, but to my surprise, she too had a clear impression that someone was standing in the corner of the room. It wasn't threatening or evil, but it was a little scary. Now, we, we didn't walk over to the corner or shine a light into the room out of some feeling, I suppose, that we had already disturbed that presence, whatever it was, and that we should leave well enough alone. Now, I couldn't help wondering if our discovery of the objects in the Parsons' cupboard had anything to do with this weird experience. As we worked on the house, we began to come across the name Obed Cathcart in all sorts of odd places. Late one afternoon, I was busy with something downstairs and I felt a sudden urge to go up to the attic, which was empty at the time. I got a flashlight, went up, and I found myself crawling into a little cranny in the eaves. Nailed to the wall were several pieces of what looked like an old hat box, deep in a corner where there would ordinarily be no reason even to look. I pulled them off the wall, and on the cover of the hat box was written in bold lettering, Captain Obed Cathcart. Now this business of feeling impelled to look in certain places and then finding his name happened a number of times. It was as if I were suddenly directed by a firm, friendly hand towards a specific spot. I remember working one day in my son's room, where we had taken up the linoleum. I noticed a seam in the floor, and I found myself digging down under the board. I popped it up, and sure enough, written on a long strip of paper, were the words, Captain Obed Cathcart. He had buried his name all over the house. It was as if I were satisfying some old urge of his by uncovering it. I did some research on the man, and I found that he had made several whaling voyages to the Pacific between 1826 and 1838 on the Elizabeth Starbuck and the James Loper out of Nantucket, and on the Victory and the Young Phoenix out of New Bedford. He left Nantucket again in 1850 as captain of the Ontario. The ship was condemned at Tahiti, and its 700-barrel cargo of sperm oil was shipped to England. Obed bought the house when he was 28, three years after he and his wife Sally were married. He lived there for the remaining 44 years of his life and died a poor man. He left $5 apiece to his brothers Seth and David. To his niece, Nancy Coffin, he willed the house. In the probate court inventory, he left her the furniture in front chamber and basement, appraised at $62, six large silver spoons and 18 small ones worth $18, and one rocking chair worth $3. 
seemed strange that a whaling captain who had made so many trips should die with so little to his name. And he was apparently a good man. I have a clipping about a rescue he made from the James Loper in 1839. A Japanese junk, the Choja Meru, was wrecked in January of that year, and it had been drifting for six months when it was sighted by Cathcart. He took the seven surviving crew members to Hawaii, where a certain Dr. Baldwin wrote, It is due to the kindness and generosity of Captain C, generosity often met with among seafaring men, that not only were these sufferers provided with food and necessary clothing, but were landed here with all the movable property they had saved, including a considerable amount of money, all which on their escaping the wreck, was put into the care of Captain C, but none was reserved by way of compensation. I have a feeling that he was a modest man, and probably a Quaker, who just never made it big. My wife and I came to accept, early on, the presence of a benevolent personality in the house. It's a wonderful house, and we've never been uncomfortable in it, but we definitely were sharing it in those early years. And there were times when Kay or I would see someone just flitting around the edge of a doorway, crossing a passageway, or disappearing around a corner when we knew there was no one there. We would catch a fleeting peripheral glimpse of a back or of a piece of clothing. I remember one time when I was just starting up the stairs and I saw a woman in a dress stepping quickly through the hall into the next room. I didn't think anything of it, assuming it was Kay, and I went up the stairs and into the room across the way. I said something to Kay, and when I got no answer, I looked upstairs and then down, only to find that she wasn't even in the house. That little shaker rocker has been something of an enigma, too. As a rule, my memory about where and when I acquire antiques is excellent. As you know, we're dealers, and we do a brisk business in Nantucket pieces out of our shop on North Water Street. But I can't, for the life of me, remember where that rocker came from. At some point, shortly after we moved in, I sold it, but I can't remember whom I sold it to either. And I don't seem to have any sales slips on it. It's almost as though I have a mental block about that that little chair. At any rate... A woman on Quint Street called me a few years ago and said she had a little shaker rocker that she wanted to get rid of. She didn't tell me why. She just said she wanted it out. I went over to pick it up, and sure enough, there was our little chair. <laughs> we have it back at the house now, and ever since it has been back, we have had no disturbances of any kind. <laughs> 